do ask that your word would live in us and that it would bear much fruit to your glory. And we ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, as Mike said, uh, we spent a lot of this past week gearing up for our launch weekend. Uh, but there's been a lot of launching that's gone on this past week. Matt and Ali Shannon joined us, and Matt had his first week in the office as uh, the routines of Minchinbury Anglican Ministries kicked off. Uh, also, some of you may be aware, if you read uh, E! News, uh, Rose Hallam uh, started as our admin assistant, a long-time member of the morning congregation. So there's been a lot happening, and in the midst of all of this, I found myself thinking about the Lord of the Rings. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the movies from now 20 years ago, 20 years ago, and the books that obviously came much before that, they're the epic story of getting the one ring, the ring of power, to Mordor, where it was created in order to destroy it and save the world of Middle-earth. For those of you familiar, familiar with the story, let me ask you this question. Who would you say is the main character of the Lord of the Rings? Frodo? We've got Frodo there. I think that's the most common kind of answer. I mean, it was asked with a bit of questioning, but <laughs> he's the one who, who's given the responsibility of bearing the ring and ultimately of putting it to its destruction. But he's not the only character. If you're at all familiar with the stories, you know there are plenty of characters. And the story spends time with Frodo and it spends time with other people. And in fact, the very first installment of the story, you may know, is called The Fellowship of the Ring. And this is a picture of that fellowship. It's about the group who is brought together for this mission. They are united in purpose. But this group, this fellowship, is made up of a diverse number of people, of individuals from different backgrounds, with different skills, all with different strengths and weaknesses. There's Frodo as one of the hobbits. There's a guy who's got experience out in the, the wilds of the world. There's a wizard. There's a dwarf. There's great diversity in this group, and yet they are united in their purpose. There is unity in diversity. And one of the underlying themes of the Lord of the Rings book is the inherent value, the place that each member has in the vast mission to destroy the ring and save the world of Middle-earth. Unity in diversity. Now, of course, that idea of unity in diversity, it's not restricted to the Lord of the Rings, to fiction and to storytelling. We see it in many other aspects of life. We see it in sporting teams. Sporting teams from amateur level to elite level are generally made up of people with different skills who complement one another, all working together to achieve a common goal. Unity in diversity. We see it expressed in cultural terms, in things like multiculturalism, people of many different backgrounds identifying together, working forwards as a people, as a nation. We hear it celebrated in songs like, We are one, but we are many. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate that, not just because that makes Australia a culturally rich place in which to live, but those of us in this room who are Christian believers, we should celebrate that because that is a vision that lies at the heart 
of what it means to be a Christian believer. That is a vision that lies at the heart of what it means to be a community of God's people, a church. We are about to embark on another year of doing life together as a church. And that means that we are about to embark on a year of doing ministry together. Because really that is what ministry is. It's just the living out of our identity as God's people and the holding out of the gospel in various ways to people around us. And maybe some of you go, oh, yep, I know what that's going to look like for me. But maybe some of you sit here and you go, what is that going to look like for me? Maybe you're not currently signed up to a formal ministry team. What's my place here? Maybe you come here, maybe you sit here even now and you look around and you think, do I really have that much in common with the other people who call Minchinbury Anglican home, who call 6pm home? Well, if you're speaking with the Apostle Paul in the first century, he would say, yes, you do. Yes, you do have a place. That's what he says to the Corinthian church in this letter that Sarah read out for us. What Paul says is that to be part of a church is to know that you have a place. You have a place in God's people. And you have a place in God's purposes. You have a place in God's people. And you have a place in God's purposes. And to communicate this great truth, Paul does so through what is arguably the most evocative expression of unity in diversity. The body. If you're at all familiar with the letter of 1 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul is writing to a church that is pulling in all different directions. A church suffering deep disunity. And what they need to understand first and foremost is that like a human body, what they actually have is essential unity. Essential unity. Look with me please at verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For human bodies, the basis of their essential unity is the personhood of each of us. One mind, one body, one person. And for the people of God, the church, the basis of our essential unity is the person of Jesus. And this isn't a partial unity. I mean, that's not unity at all, of course, is it? It's a complete unity. It's comprehensive. It's an essential unity. It's part of what makes the body a body. And because this unity is so essential, what it does is it allows for a unity in areas where you wouldn't necessarily naturally expect to find it. And so we see here that Paul speaks of a cultural unity that exists. He speaks of Jews and Greeks, God's original covenant people, the Jewish nation, and everybody else together in the one people of God. He speaks about slave and free in the world in which he lived, the two extremes of life and society. And this is all because they have a spiritual unity. They are all saved on the same basis, the blood of Jesus. And so they have all received the same spirit. And in the passage just before what Sarah read for us, Paul goes into a bit of detail about that, that they have all received the same spirit. And so this fundamental truth of church identity, that we are all one 
in Christ Jesus. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And to drive this point home, uh, Paul gets a bit creative and he, he depicts various body parts trying to disqualify themselves, trying to disassociate themselves from the body. It's a ridiculous image. Because why are they trying to do that? On the basis that they are different to other body parts. So, But Paul says in verse 15, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. It's an intentionally ridiculous idea that one body part would say, well, because I'm different to the others, therefore I, I shouldn't belong to this body. The body is by definition, by nature, one entity made up of many parts. So it makes it a body and not a rock <laughs> or something like that. The body parts can't leave the body even if they want to, nor can other body parts tell the different body parts to leave the ones that are different to them. They have a central unity. What does this mean for us? Minchinbury Anglican, 6 p.m. Do you see yourself as essentially united to the other members of this congregation? You should. Or do you see the differences first? Because as hard as it might, might be not to do that, I want to say you shouldn't. Your background, your job, your life circumstance, they do not determine your belonging. Only Jesus does. And the faith you have in him and the spirit that he has given to each of us, the same spirit. So don't disqualify yourself. Don't disqualify yourself from church fellowship on the basis of personal difference because you're not exactly the same in every way to the other people who meet in that church. If you trust Jesus, if you truly confess Jesus is Lord, as Paul says in verse 3 of this chapter, you belong. And so also, don't feel the need to conform. There is only one basis for unity, and that's the Spirit. So be yourself. Essential unity. But this essential unity has another aspect to it. The church also has essential diversity. What do I mean by essential diversity? Well, it's not just unity in spite of diversity. You know, like, all right, we've got all these different parts, but we'll just say we're all together and that'll be, you know, we'll put up with the difference. No, no, it's unity that is strengthened by the diversity that exists within it. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body, just as he wanted it. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? And so in the same way that a body part can't disqualify itself from a body because of its essential unity, one body part can't remove another because of its essential unity. And they can't remove another different part because of the essential diversity of the body. Verse 21, so the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. 
This is why this is such a great image for Paul to harness, to speak of the church. We know intuitively what he's getting at here. We see that each part is purpose. Each part has its role to play. Each part is essential in its own way to the functioning of the body. Even the parts that seem weaker. We see there that Paul stretches the analogy further. Because some parts of the body we think are more honourable than others. There are parts of the body we consider to be more presentable and less presentable, he says in verses 23 and 24. And we know what he's getting at there. We, we know that. We know that there are the parts of our body that we're more than happy to have on display to the world. And then there are the parts that require covering up or more adorning. So Paul's also having a bit of a dig here at the Corinthian church. This is a thinly veiled reference to the disparities that existed in the Corinthian congregation. The disparities of wealth and of status and of religious credentials. And yet Paul is saying that in God's creative economy, the apparently less honourable parts of the body often have the most important or necessary roles to play. And that's true, isn't it, about the body? Think of, think of your digestive system. Think of the bowels. They're not working properly. The whole body is not working properly. And so too the church. It's not that the spirit is the only thing tying these otherwise useless members in. Well, they're part of us because they've got the same spirit. We put up with them. It's that without the particular contribution of all the members, the body simply wouldn't function. Not as a body. Not as its creator intended it to. And that's a bit like in the Lord of the Rings too, isn't it? It's the seemingly insignificant hobbits who end up playing the most crucial roles. Roles only they could play because they are hobbits. The diversity allows for the body to function effectively as a wonderfully whole and yet complex entity. And so Paul says, honour the seemingly less honourable parts of the body. I mean, this particular emphasis, this honouring of the less honouring, in a way it's God's way of making us more loving and considerate of one another. Have a look at that's what he says in verse 25. And it means that in every way, each part of the body is reliant on the other, for whether honourable or not. Verse 26. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. And so too, Paul says with the church, each, each part has a role to play. And he gets more specific in verse 27, doesn't he? Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And jumping down to verse 29, are all apostles... Are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in other languages, do all interpret? The implied answer to each one of those questions is, of course, no. Because if all were apostles, who would prophesy? Whatever that looked like in the early church. If all were teachers, who would heal? Who would be responsible for the care of others? If all spoke other languages, who would translate so that everyone can understand? Now, there are various roles, various responsibilities and functions, one church. 
Is that how you see your fellow Minchinbury Anglican members? As we look around here at 6pm, different and diverse as they may be from you in all sorts of ways, do you see them as essential to the functioning of the congregation? Like the, like the Corinthian church, do we have our own blind spots when it comes to seeing people involved in ministry and seeing ourselves involved in ministry? Perhaps if you're someone involved already here at Minchinbury in formal ministry, it, it might be worth asking yourself a few diagnostic questions. Are there ministries that I've discounted doing because I don't think I'm capable enough or gifted enough? a bit like the body part that wants to disqualify itself are there ministries i've discounted doing because i don't think they're all that important maybe supper maybe helping out at kids church in the morning just kids just babysitting for an hour or they're not high profile or glamorous enough maybe being on the projector or turning up at food van just to talk to someone no one's going to notice you doing that. Are there ministries I'm involved in because I think they're important? Because I think they've got a degree of glamour and prestige involved in them. Why am I involved? To help serve and support the work of the entire body or just to help serve myself? Well, these are not easy questions, but I think they're important questions to ask of ourselves. And of course, certain roles do have more prominence or regularity in our church life. And that's what Paul gets at in verse 28. And with some of those things, they require more training and expertise. They carry with them more responsibility. And that's why, in a part, Mike led us in commissioning people involved in word ministry, the teaching of God's word. But think of children's ministry and the great care and responsibility for the kids under your care there. Or if you're involved in pastoral care, looking after people's needs. Some carry more responsibility than others. Obviously, this contributes to the visibility of certain ministries. It plays a part in who can fulfill certain ministries. But it does not make other roles, other ministries, any less essential. And it must be said at this point, it can sound a bit like this is a call to sign up to a roster and to join a formal team. And obviously, that is a large part of what ministry looks like as a church, but it doesn't have to be that. I made mention of someone who comes to Food Van, a morning church member who is hearing impaired. Heather, she comes along to Food Van. We're not rostered on to do that. But there are two ladies who are hearing impaired who come from the community. And it's very difficult for Mike and for Elizabeth and for me to communicate with them. But Heather comes and she signs. She spends her morning doing that. It's not a rostered thing but it helps us better communicate and connect with our community. It helps serve the whole body of Christ. And so Paul concludes in verse 31. On his way to his famous exhortation in the next chapter, his exhortation to love, used at so many weddings, he concludes in verse 31, what should the Corinthians desire? He says, desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. We all desire our own place, maybe a bit of prominence, maybe it's in the ministry role that we may or may not have. Paul says, desire the greater gift, the gift of love. Love for the Lord Jesus. Love for your sisters and brothers. Love for your community who doesn't know Jesus. 
That is an even better way. That will determine, that will help you determine what are valuable ministries and how you can give of yourself to serve the body. The church is a body. It has a central unity and it has a central diversity. And that is essential to the ministry that we do. I wonder if you've heard of the 80-20 phenomenon. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of the 80-20 phenomenon. It's particularly uh, present in volunteer organisations of which a church is that sort of uh, in, uh, organization. It's where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Now, obviously, it's a generalization. But I have, I have been around churches enough to see it lived out in various ways. And this can be a phenomenon for two reasons, generally. Maybe it's because only 20% of the people are allowed to do 80% of the work. And that can happen in churches. Or it can be because only 20% of the people volunteer to do 80% of the work. And certainly I've seen it happen where the same people put their hand up time and time and again for big roles or small roles. Either way, it's a real shame when that happens. Not only is it burdensome, not only is it less effective, but it's also unbiblical. It is an inversion of what we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a counterexample, a body where, where only a few members are active and useful, where there is a very shallow sense of unity because 80% of the church isn't actively engaged in the work of the body. That's a body that's on life support. Is that missionary Anglican in any way? Well, statistically, not quite. <laughs> At the end of 2018... Uh, of people, about 240 people here at the church, 125 were serving in some formal way at the church. Now, obviously, that can only represent formal ministry service. It's the only way we can kind of count that. that. That's more than 50%. That's great. But wouldn't it be great if one day we could see the, that number north of 50%, north of 60%, 70%, 90%? What would that say about our willingness as a church, to serve one another in all manner of ways, all people, seeing their role, finding their role. The spiritual and practical reality of the church is that we have a central unity and a central diversity, and that is essential to ministry. And so that means we find our identity first and foremost in who we are as Christian believers, not who we are as parents or as spouses, or as children, or as workers, who we are as people saved by Jesus. It means that we don't play favourites. And I think that's one we would quite easily dismiss. I don't play favourites. It's not like when someone walks through the door, I go, ah, I'm going to choose to speak to them. But we kind of, we fall into our comfort zones of the people with whom we have fellowship and we chat to. It's possible to be a member of a service that's only 30 people strong and not know a third of that service. We can play favourites, but we shouldn't because we are united in identity. And because we're united in identity as those saved by Jesus, it means we're united in purpose, holding out the hope of salvation to our dying world. And that means we are united in ministry, in mission. There are lots of different ministries, but we are united in the one 
mission and ministry. And what is our church's mission? Well, you hear it said most weeks from the front by the service leader. Mike said it tonight. It's to make disciples of Jesus and multiply communities who love Jesus and show Jesus' love. One of the service leaders from the morning, Reese, whenever he says that line, he follows it up with, if you call Minchinbury Anglican your church home, that should be your mission too. And he's right. I've stolen that line from a number of times. But achieving that mission requires diversity, different people doing different things. Because God has made individual people diverse. Because the church is made up of a diversity of people and types, races, backgrounds, personalities, abilities. The church needs a diversity of people reaching them. God has given us that here at Mission. Just look around this room. Maybe you're a foot. Maybe you're a hand. Maybe you're an ear. Maybe you're an eye. There is a part for you to play. If you need help working out what that is, come and speak to me. Speak to Mike. Speak to Matt. Speak to anyone you know who is actively engaged in ministry, whether on a roster here or just you know is living out their Christian faith in an active way in their lives. They will help you realize that each of us has a role to play. Because to be part of a church is to know you have a place, a place in God's people, and a place in God's purposes. As Paul says in verse 18, God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have saved us. And we thank you that because you have saved us, we are one. We are united in Jesus. And yet, Lord, you have made us each differently, fearfully and wonderfully different from one another. You've given us different personalities and skills and abilities. Help us under you to see what part it is you have, us to, have to, for us to play. Here at 6 p.m. as part of Minchinbury Anglican, as part of your worldwide church. Help us to do that for the glory of Jesus.